Hi, welcome to today's program. You know, when people visit the Physicians Committee website, so many of them are looking for all of our pages on gut bacteria, the healthy microbiome. Why is that? The reason is people don't have such a great relationship with their digestive tract. They're out of sorts. And to confirm that, all you have to do is turn on the TV. So many commercials for medications to try to get people's digestive tracts back on track. Well, today's program is going to tackle exactly that. Weight loss champion Chuck Carroll is going to be joined by Dr. Jim Loomis and registered dietitian Megan Jardine. They will show you how to work on your diet to get your gut into tip-top shape and make those bacteria your friends. Well, they also have a knock-your-socks-off recipe that will really help you stay on track into the future. So I hope you enjoy the program. Thank you, Dr. Barner. This is the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Today, all about gut bacteria, but that is not what this segment is about. This is a feel-good segment. This is the kind of segment that uh, I love doing. And so I'm so honored to be sitting across the table from Connie Crosby. Connie, how are you? I am very well today. Thanks. You know, when your daughter, Lee, who works upstairs, told me your story, I said, I need to get her on the show. You have had just this remarkable transformation, and you've lost, what, 110 pounds now? Yes, that's true. 110 pounds. I mean, and this weight, like me, for you, I believe it's really been a lifelong struggle, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I was a very fat teenager. At 12, I weighed 242 pounds. I was five feet tall. And it it was a trauma for a kid that age. How, how did you get up to 242 uh, so early? I was uh, raised on biscuits and gravy and ham. And I was a kid who just had no stopping point on food. And I was allowed to eat whatever was put before me. And and I assume then that obesity was a problem in your family? Oh, absolutely. The family issues are just everywhere. Uh, there are five siblings, and of the five, four of us were obese. So talk to me about this lifelong struggle. I know for me, when I was 420 pounds and dropping down to where I am now at 141, like there were so many yo-yo diets in between until I finally <laughs> hit that success. And I assume that you had a similar oh, type of journey. It was, it was you say yo-yo? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, every yo-yo, though, went upwards. Mm-hmm. You would go down and gain more, go down and gain more than you lost. I, I, but the time I was a teenager at 12, I lost 100 plus pounds. What spawned that? Uh, a crush. Oh, I that'll was, do it. <laughs> and the irony is the guy I had a crush on moved. Oh. But I don't, oh, yes. Dagger. Um, daggers in the heart, but I was on the way. So um, I really stayed down below the 242 for a very long, 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 long time. Mm-hmm. But I would bounce around in the 160s, 70s, 80s and manage to get through. And then I lost this low down as 124. Wow. And then bounce back up. So I know what the yo-yo was all about. I could write the book on a yo-yo. Right. 
And so that was at an early age, but uh, you know, like this, this just kept going until kept as going. recently as uh, just a few years ago. Um, my height, the apex, if you want to put it that way, was two seventy three, mm-hmm. and that was in the late summer of uh, twenty twelve. I had already turned vegetarian, but there are lots of things you can eat as a vegetarian. So I it and I wasn't even that committed. Right. But at 273 I decided I can't do this. What uh what was the tipping point? Well, it's a rather traumatic tipping point. Um I couldn't get off the floor. Mm. I couldn't go up a flight of steps without stopping to breathe. Um I was becoming immobile, and at 63, that's pretty young to not be able to move. I have, uh, at that point, I had three grandchildren. I want to be able to play with them, and I couldn't do that if I didn't lose. Well, I had two and one on the way, and I couldn't play. I couldn't enjoy life, and you have to make a decision. Do you really want to go on this way, or do you want to be healthy right. and mobile? So I decided on the ladder, wasn't going, wasn't going to go any further. Good choice. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> so um, I decided to take uh, dramatic action. Picked up the phone and called my daughter, and said, "Hey, I need a coach. You want to be my coach?" And Lee Crosby said, "Sure, Mom. Let's work on it." That's and great. we started. But it has been a five-year journey. And it's been up and down and slip and slide. But it's been, my goal is to be vegan and stay that way. And I can't say I'm perfect, but I love food. And I found I could eat food, really good, healthy (laughs) food, and lose weight and feel great. It's the best thing ever, isn't it? It is the best thing. It's almost a shock. Right. It's like. I can eat all this and still be on the way down. And it, not that I didn't, like I said, they're slipping and sliding. I have tried every diet known to the human beings. I mean, I won't go into a high, high protein, low protein, low, you name it, low calorie. And as a vegan, I found I can, low calories, I don't know what it is. It's almost like magic. <laughs> you can um, go forward and be I can run upstairs now. Yeah. Isn't that great? It's so it's amazing. The first time I ran up unconsciously, I was like, holy moly, <laughs> I just ran up the stairs. I can't believe it. Yeah. It is just so much fun. Uh, and, and I mean, for me, like the excitement of still being able to do those little things, like it never it goes away. It doesn't go away. It is like a bonus in life. And it really is a new lease on life for me. I'm almost 69 years old. And without even thinking about it, I can walk six, seven miles. And and I can break a sweat. But at least I can walk those miles. I get off the floor, don't even think about it. Right. I don't crawl over to a chair and pull myself up. I just get up. So you're almost 69, but how old do you feel? Mm, okay. I get up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, that's you? Oh, I feel great. Yeah. I feel awesome. I um, I haven't felt this good in years. Right. 
before that, I was really becoming old prematurely, and mm-hmm. now it's like, hey, I might be thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> so you really kind of half your age. Yeah, yeah. I had tremendous joint pain, and my knees were wasted. And now I get occasional knee pain if I overdo. Mm-hmm. But just to say I I can't get up because my knees hurt. I don't doesn't think doesn't happen. Yeah, I don't think that people who haven't been in in a position such as yours or a position that I've been in can really fathom exactly the toll that that takes on your joints carrying around all of that weight. Oh. And it is the little things like walking up the stairs, you know, walking across the street. It is so difficult and can be so painful at times. Like both physically and emotionally. Oh yeah. The emotional toll of this um horrifying sad american diet standard american diet yeah. i call it the sad american diet yeah. is um i feel for people i really hurt for people who don't understand how easy it could be to reach out grab a way to eat and mm-hmm. a way to move that could get rid of 90 percent of their problems health-wise yeah yeah and the joy you feel of waking up in the morning knowing you really can get up and go play and do the things you really want to do, um, you can't buy that. You can't be paid for. Right. It is just part of living. And I I get up and I have my breakfast, which is a little unusual for some people, but I had this lovely salad with blueberries and a lovely big vinegar dressing and i'm like oh this is delicious i I love the food and i wake up and go oh i'm full yay (laughs) (laughs) i feel great way better than a sausage biscuit right oh can't even think about that stuff now so so let me ask you this you know you're clearly enjoying all the creativity that comes with Mm. a plant-based diet but you you know you you still say that you're on kind of this sliding scale like why why is it that you're kind of fearful of still going in that opposite direction and that's a good term. I hadn't thought about it. It becomes almost a, a, a you almost panic when you see yourself slide backwards. I um I'm an emotional eater. I don't think that's unusual for people who are overweight. I compensate for fear or deep sadness, stress essentially by eating. And my go-to all my life was something sweet and simple carbohydrate. I I never even think about reaching for the meat products, but I do reach for the pastries, and I have to go, no, 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 can't do that. So I'm learning to substitute fruits and other sweets, but it's difficult. I I, I lost my father last year, Mm. and then there's been kind of a, it's been less than pleasant since then with family matters. So... I have had to really watch myself. I I picked up a little bit just because I was going after the wrong foods. A simple carbohydrate will turn around and bite you very quickly. (laughs) So back to whole, I believe in whole foods. Right. And I do, and that's how you keep the weight off. I, I, you know, a a biscuit, gluten-free cookie those are monsters in my head (laughs) so like the enemy number one so i'm very cautious about those i guess my last question for you is 
were portions a problem for you? Because even still for me, that that's an issue. And I try to be as mindful as possible for that. And it seems like every meal, especially recently for some reason, it's like I'll find myself being full and then I'll still go for like that one more bite and then I'll stop myself. And I get a little bit frustrated or angry even. And it's it, I don't know if it's because it's like I can't eat that or I'm upset with myself that I still kind of have that habit of wanting to do that. Was that ever an issue for you? Was that ever? That is an issue for me. Mm-hmm. That does not go away easily. No. You don't get to be the size I was by not liking volumes of food literally abnormal volumes of food. A child doesn't turn into a 242-pound mess by not eating lots and lots of food. So that's a lifelong pattern. We'll always have it. And if you understand that and work with that, then the frustration of that will lessen a little bit. But yes, I become frustrated with myself because I really want to keep eating. I keep want to. I want to just... But this is why the the whole food plant-based diet, I stress beans, greens, and lentils. Uh Those are my mainstays because those are the ones that fill me up and keep me going. And I'm content with those because I can eat almost anything I want of those and not pay any consequences. So it's, it's... been the perfect diet for me well but don't expect that frustration to ever go away uh, it'll be with you it's a reminder you know and and you just it's something that you deal with but it's something that you can overcome and you can overcome it and i'll tell you what you you are just living proof that it's never too late because here you are, almost 69, and I will venture to say you are in the prime of your life now. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> a whole lot more than I was five, six years ago. Yeah. And I enjoy life more than I did. It's exponentially more. Mm-hmm. It's a joy to get up and a joy to live, and I'm very grateful. One of the, the things I came in with, like, five tips in mind to tell everybody, but I think the top tip— besides reaching out and getting help, this is not something I did all by myself. It's every day I'm mindful of the great uh, gift that life is and the joy. So I take time to pray and meditate and just be grateful for the things, the blessings we have every day. And one of them is being able to take control and move forward with your own health. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that. And uh, I'm very grateful that uh, you you were able to take this time and and share it with us today. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure meeting you. Well, the pleasure's all mine. And uh, your five tips, I know for a fact, they can be found on veggie-quest.com, veggie-quest.com. We're also going to link off to that on our webpage, pcrm.org slash podcast. Connie Crosby. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. (laughs) Been fun. You're continuing to listen to the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Today, all about gut bacteria, one of the most viewed pages on PCRM.org. I kid you not, a lot of people just 
fascinated yeah. by this topic and you hear it at first and you're like gut bacteria but then you start to dive into the science of it a little bit and it's kind of a mind-blowing read when when you start to sit there and digest some things so let's no, no pun intended exactly right? <laughs> exactly and so with, with that we, we've got dr jim loomis here with us uh, he is the medical director up at the barnard medical center welcome back to the show thank you Gut bacteria, man. So let's start with the lay question here, the easy one. What role does it play in our overall health? So, you know, gut bacteria is interesting. Um, you know, when I was in medical school, not that too long ago, I, um, you know, I viewed my gut and, you know, patients' guts as something that was um, inside us. Mm -hmm. but, but our gut's not inside us. It's actually outside us. And its job is to take whatever we ingest in point A and let in the good stuff and keep out the bad stuff. And, and eliminate it out point B. And we've always, in most of that transaction, some of that occurs in the small intestine, and then there is some transaction in the, in the large intestine. And we always, I was always taught and thought about the bacteria that lived in our gut is kind of along for the ride. And right. if you went to Mexico and got some different gut bacteria, <laughs> you know, you, you had diarrhea for a few days. But it turns out that, that the gut bacteria play a very, very important role in, in, in our health for, for a variety of reasons. And the reason that we were just kind of starting to figure this out is most of these bacteria are what we call anaerobic, which means they grow in the absence of oxygen. So you can't just take a stool specimen and put it on a Petri dish and see what, what grows. Right. So it wasn't until we had really cheap you know, genetic sequencing, DNA and RNA sequencing, that we really had any idea about what bacteria lived inside, you know, in our gut. And that's led to this fascinating and explosion, really, of understanding and, 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 uh, and research around the role that gut bacteria plays in our overall health. And, 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 and that being said, this really is still all in its infancy. We, we, we still um, are learning more and more every day about the importance of gut bacteria. You know, it turns out we've got trillions and trillions of gut bacteria, and in fact, it's felt the research varies from about three to ten times more cells that live in and on us than make up our own personal, you know, our own, our, the cells that make up our ten. bodies. Three to ten times. times. But even more amazing than that, if you look at the amount of DNA, mm -hmm. there's a hundred times more DNA that come from our gut bacteria than do from our own personal DNA. Interesting. So what you're really talking about is this really another, it's a living organism, if you will, that lives inside us, which is really this kind of interesting thing. Um, and um, as you said earlier, it is kind of hard to get your brain around what, what this all means. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of numbers. Um, one of the things that really fascinated me as I began to poke around in this is that it's really tied to the foods that we crave. I mean, it, it, it almost has a direct connection to our brain. Yeah, so that, that is one of the most fascinating and emerging areas of research, and it's this gut-brain axis. And when I first read about this, I thought, this is the craziest thing I ever heard of. What do you mean that when I crave a cupcake, it's my gut bacteria telling me to eat that? But if, but if you step back for a minute and you think about this through the lens of kind of evolution, um, you know, if you're a bacteria, so any biologic system evolved to, to develop strategies to be able to pass on its DNA. That's what we're all around for. And, it, and in, you know, it, it's that evolutionary mismatch in our personal lifestyle, which has created many chronic diseases. But just imagine you're a gut bacteria and you like to eat sugar. And you could evolve a strategy to make your host 
eat sugar. Mm-hmm. So that's going to provide you a survival advantage. And in fact, that's, it's felt that that's exactly what many of these gut bacteria have, have, have evolved to do. And so many of the, the – so our food cravings, it's a, it's a fairly complicated biology having to do with neurotransmitters and hormones that interact in our, in our, in our uh, pituitary gland and then with the hypothalamus, which is a part of our brain that controls reward and, and cravings and, and, and such, plays a role in addictions. It, the, the amazing thing is that it's clearly been shown that the gut bacteria can make compounds – that are very similar, if not identical, to these same neurotransmitters and can drive our brains to, to crave certain foods. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And those, those foods that I guess are super addictive, I guess, those are the ones that are highly processed, high in sugar, you know, exactly. the sad diet, standard American it, it, diet. Exactly. And the two hormones that are made are dopamine and serotonin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not only... Do they play a role in food addictions and mood and food addictions and, 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 and cravings? There's increasing evidence they may play a role in many other uh, mental health issues, That's such right. as depression and anxiety and even some chronic diseases like autism. Interesting. So the struggle is real. I get, I, well, that kind of makes me think you hear about people going plant-based and then coming off of their antidepressants. So you got to think that there is at least part of that connection. That's exactly right. So, so the, the other fascinating thing, so that, that really lends itself to the question, what is a normal, what, what, what is normal gut bacteria? Right. Right. What, so we don't know the answer to that. But what we do know is, is that, that if you look at people that are healthy, um, that they mainly eat a plant-based diet, first mm-hmm. of all, but they have a different kind of pattern of gut bacteria than people who are unhealthy, that have chronic metabolic diseases, have colon cancer, have chronic inflammatory diseases. And it has to do, there's several things that, that, that have been shown. So the two major kind of species of gut bacteria broadly are bacterioides and firmicutes. And, and in someone who has a healthy gut, the bacterioides species predominate. And in people who have an unhealthy goat, it, it's more of the firmicutes. And there's been switch studies. You, you take someone who, who eats a standard American diet and you switch them over to a plant-based diet, and, and you will see a shift in those, those ratios. Now, what constitutes the absolute kind of ideal, it, is, it probably is highly variable. It depends on your own personal genetics. It depends on your geographic location, what kind of dirt lives in the, in the soil that you live around. Mm. depends on your diet. Um, the other thing that we see is diversity. So in people who have a healthy gut bacteria, you might see hundreds and hundreds of different bacterial species that, that populate the gut, where people who have an unhealthy gut bacteria, that, that can be limited. And, and, and the reason that is is if you, if you look at um, – if you look at how our – you know, when we're born, when a newborn baby has a sterile gut. And the first place we are exposed to bacteria is, 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 is when, we, when our brothers, mothers give vaginal birth. Right. The second place we get bacteria is when we breastfeed from the skin of our mothers. The third place we get bacteria is from the dirt that we go out in the backyard or the, you know, the local area and when we hunt and gather food. And, and so our gut bacteria is set at a relatively early age. Um, now, we start to do a lot in the modern society to disrupt our gut bacteria at a very early age. Mm-hmm. We C-section babies. We don't breastfeed anymore. We bottle feed. We pass out antibiotics like they're candy, especially in children, 
Because when you take an antibiotic, the antibiotic can't tell the difference between the healthy bacteria and, and the bad bacteria. We, we have hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, we're exposed to antibiotic residues in the meat, you know, the poultry, the, the beef that we eat that's given to those uh, animals because they're raised in such ins- unsanitary conditions that they, they're given antibiotics prophylactically so they don't get sick. And it's also been shown in many species like chickens that antibiotics actually um, can serve a role as a growth factor. So they make the chickens, you know, bigger and fatter quicker. So we do a lot of things in the Western world to disrupt our gut flora. That's that's so fascinating. I mean, you, you would never equate hand sanitizer with gut bacteria, um, a cesarean section with gut bacteria, and yet here we are. I guess, you know, we were talking about swapping out diets in that transition. So obviously, if your gut bacteria is unhealthy, what if then what happens when you transition to a plant based diet? Do you start to crave those healthier foods? So it's not that you crave healthier foods. It's the, the craving for these highly processed, more addictive. Because So those, that, that dopamine reward center is the same reward center that gets activated when you get addicted to cocaine, for example. Mm-hmm. So when we replace the gut bacteria that aren't producing all of this dopamine and creating all these cravings, it's not that we crave more healthy foods. It's that we don't crave more unhealthy foods. Interesting. And so that's why, I guess, if you're trying to lose weight, exercise extremely important but for me i think it's got to start at nutrition because you can go to the gym and and you know hit the treadmill pound the weights all day but if you don't change that diet you're you're not really doing your body a whole lot of good there you're exactly right and and you know the fascinating thing is that there are the gut bacteria that live in our populate our gut also play a very important role in metabolism and have been shown to contribute to many other chronic diseases We could talk about this all day, but uh, stick around. Uh, Coming up a little bit later, I do want to talk to you about the link between gut bacteria and chronic disease. But right now, you are listening to The Exam Room, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. You are listening to The Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am, of course, the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Today, all about gut bacteria, perhaps not the most glamorous of topics, but among the most searched on PCRM.org. That's why we wanted to do this podcast today. And to help us continue that discussion, I am welcoming the Associate Director of Diabetes Nutrition Education for the Physicians Committee, Megan Jardine. Megan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Chuck. I'm glad to be here. The pleasure is all mine. Trust me. Now, you and I have been talking a little bit off air about gut bacteria. Uh, You've done a wealth of research, which we're just going to present now. So I guess the first question that we should ask is kind of the lay question, and, and that is, what type of diet causes bad gut bacteria? Well, um, it's, it's what you would think. Any kind of, uh, fatty foods, fried foods, um, uh, fatty meats, uh, cheeses. Uh, there was a study done at Harvard, and it was very interesting. And they tested a diet, uh, two diets. One was an animal-based diet, and one was a plant-based diet. And so the researchers allowed the participants to eat as much food as they wanted. So they first did this animal-based diet, and they were allowed to eat as much as they wanted. Steak, um, cheese, butter, uh, it's sort of like what you think of as a low-carbohydrate diet. And they did this for five days. And um, 
they actually lost some weight because people do lose weight on a low carbohydrate diet. But when they tested their microbiota, their gut microbiota, and they do this with a stool sample, they found that uh, all of these bacteria started growing. In just five days, it happened wow. so quickly. Allostypes, bilophila, bacteroides, these are all associated with inflammation. They're associated with um, uh, different types of cancer, uh, liver cancer, colon cancer. And then when they switched them back to the plant-based diet, um, they were allowed to eat as much as they want of uh, beans, uh, fruits, vegetables, whole grains. Their bacteria started to recover. And I think that really tells a lot about what happens when we eat food. We're not only feeding ourselves, we're feeding the bacteria in our gut. So I guess then the question would become, which foods are the worst of the worst? Let's cap this at five. So what are the five worst foods that we could possibly eat as far as gut bacteria? Well, I think uh, anything that's high in fat, um, butter, um, uh, lard, uh, red meat, uh, processed meat, fried foods. And I'm going to tell you why, because this is very important. There's five things that happen. And when you eat fats uh, or foods that are high in fat, your liver has to secrete bile. And bile is important because it breaks down the fat so you can absorb it and use that fat for energy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, but bile does some things in the body. First of all, it, uh, it's toxic to healthy bacteria. So your healthy bacteria numbers diminish. The second thing is, is it causes this growth of what we call bile tolerant bacteria. And these are the ones I was talking about, allostypes, bilophila, bacteroides. Um, and these start to break down the bile and secondary bile acids are formed. Um, so these uh, secondary bile acids are in the colon, in the large intestines, and these are associated with colon cancer and also inflammation. Uh, so it's all about inflammation. The next thing that happens is it, uh, the bile tends to irritate the lining of the gut. So your intestine keeps the bacteria in the intestines. You don't want that bacteria crossing the intestinal border and getting into the blood. And so what happens is that when you eat a high fat diet, um, the, the bacteria is able to cross the border, or little pieces of the bacteria maybe. And what happens is your immune system goes, oh, wait a minute, it forms a reaction and that's inflammation. And also could be associated with some of these autoimmune diseases that mm -hmm. we see. And then there's one more thing that happens. Carnitine in animal products like eggs, cheese, chicken, red meat, um, is broken down in the bacteria, goes to the liver, and once it gets into the blood, it forms this metabolite. It's called trimethylamine and oxide. We'll just call it TMAO. Yeah, say that so, five times fast, huh? <laughs> so TMAO is associated with coronary artery plaques. So it causes the plaques to build up on the, your arteries, and this is what causes uh, cardiovascular disease. So fatty foods are, are out. Um, it reduces healthy species. It causes the bile tolerant bacteria to grow that cause inflammation, causes these secondary bile acids to form. 
uh, it breaks down the gut barrier and then it forms that TMAO. So those are the those are the things that we need to think of is how the bacteria um, reduces our health or causes uh, chronic disease uh, through our bacteria in a high-fat diet. So, Megan, we've been talking about the bad, but let's talk about the good now. Give some tips as far as how people can promote good gut bacteria and optimal health. So, again, the lay question then, if not what type of diet causes a bad uh, gut bacteria, what then type of diet is really good, beneficial for promoting good gut bacteria? Well, it's all about fiber, um, when we look at the power plate, uh, the physician's committee has this power plate, whole grains, vegetables, fruits, uh, legumes. Um, you should eat at least three servings of whole grains every day, at least one or two servings of legumes every day, at least three to five vegetables every day and at least two to four fruits every day. And if you do that, you will be getting at least uh, 25 to 38 grams of fiber. And of course, at the physician's committee, we want you to get more than 40. So you can probably even do that, especially with the beans. Sure. And the, this fiber feeds our healthy bacteria. It proliferates these, the species of lactobacillus and uh, bifidobacterium. These are the species that um, re release these, um, they're called short chain fatty acids. And short-chain fatty acids um, get into your blood, they're absorbed, they help you feel full. Um, they also reduce that inflammation. Um, they also enhance your metabolism. There's these little um, fat burners in our uh, muscle cells called mitochondria. So the, uh, when you eat more fiber, it makes, us, uh, makes you have more mitochondria and it makes the your, your body burn more fat or your increases your metabolism. So um, those are just some of the things they do. <laughs> so fiber is really important. And of course, eating from the power plate is important. So then, you know, give me the top, we, we, we just mentioned the, the four things that are on the plate there, but if you could pick five foods, if, if you could only eat five foods to promote good gut bacteria growth, what would those five foods be? Well, I think it should be something simple, something you can find anywhere. Broccoli. Broccoli is the ultimate health food. Um, most kids like broccoli. Um, it's not expensive. And broccoli is uh, packed with phytochemicals that reduce inflammation and reduce the risk of cancer and um, it will also help feed those healthy bacteria so broccoli and then bananas the ultimate fast food is a banana <laughs> and uh, if you're thinking about your bacteria in your gut you want to um, you want to eat green bananas or you know all bananas are good, you know, even if you have that kind of brown banana. But if you want to really have the prebiotic effect, which means it makes those healthy species grow, um, you'd want to get a little more on the green side. So that dissipates the riper the banana gets? The benefits do? Yeah, it, it has to do with the starch in the banana. The inulin starts to, um, or the resistant starch, 
a green banana is going to have more resistant starch. And resistant starch um, is has uh, more of a, a fermentation that occurs in the back in the in the colon with the bacteria. I think, you know, a lot of people, we'll get back, I think you have three foods left, but I think a lot of people then would hear that and say, well, you know, I like a little bit more ripe banana. I assume you would get the same benefits if you were to use that greener banana while making a smoothie, correct? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. And and don't don't throw out your bananas, bananas, (laughs) even when they're a little bit brown. I like to, you know, peel them and uh, put them in a, a... a Ziploc bag and throw them in the freezer. And then when I, I always have bananas on hand uh, to make a smoothie. Yes. Good tip. So what else is on the list? So beans, beans, uh, beans are so high in fiber and they're high in this resistant starch. And um, they're going to cause this release of those short chain fatty acids. Uh, so beans are high in minerals and protein and fiber. And so when you eat beans, it's definitely improving your gut bacteria and the lining of your gut so that um, it's, it, it helps to feed the, the cells that line the walls of the intestine. So um, it prevents any kind of toxin or bacteria to enter the host or enter into your blood. So the fourth food I would say are blueberries are uh, blueberries um, are a, a good prebiotic food, any berry really, but your blueberries are full of antioxidants and phytochemicals. And we know that people who eat more blueberries have uh, better brain health. And um, so I would recommend people get some, try to get blueberries. And this time of year, it's harder to get them. So get frozen blueberries. Exactly. You can do the same thing. I have a few bags in my freezer right now. Right. Um, the last food I, is is not as easy of a food to consume. It's probably tempeh because tempeh actually has probiotic in the food itself. So if you're eating tempeh, you're getting some, uh, tempeh is a fermented soy product. So through that fermentation process, it contains some healthy bacteria. So Um, That way you're not only getting your prebiotics, you're getting your probiotics too. Now your prebiotics are the the foods that feed the bacteria and your probiotics are foods that actually contain the healthy bacteria. Uh, Do you get the same type of benefit from all fermented foods? Well, I wouldn't, um, you know, not, not all fermented foods have been tested and there are some concerns about certain foods like kimchi um, we do know that uh, kimchi is a prebiotic or a probiotic, but it's also very high in salt. And we know that, um, for example, in Korea, people who eat eat a lot of kimchi, and there's higher rates of uh, stomach cancer there. Hmm. So you have to be careful about some of these probiotic foods that are high in salt. Um, another one is uh, kombucha. Um, there have been some cases of people getting metabolic acidosis from consuming kombucha. And uh, of course, that's a probiotic drink. And a lot of people, you know, drink a lot of kombucha. So I'd be careful about drinking too much of that. All right. Well, you were just a wealth of information, Megan. Thank you. 
Oh, you're welcome. That's, it was great to be here today. Well, we're definitely going to have you back on. I can tell you that. Uh, Megan Jardine, she is the Associate Director of Diabetes Nutrition Education for the Physicians Committee. And you are listening to the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. You're continuing to listen to the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Uh, Give the committee a follow on Twitter at PCRM and selfishly me as well at Chuck Carroll WLC. That's two R's and two L's and then WLC. Back again with Dr. Jim Loomis, Medical Director at the Barnard Medical Center, talking all about gut bacteria. And we touched on this at the very end of our first segment together, and that is the link between gut bacteria and chronic disease. But let's start with the difference then um, between good gut bacteria and bad bacteria and the role that that plays. So, you know, I I think when I first started to learn about plant-based nutrition, um, I went to a plant-based healthcare conference and there was talks on cancer and diet and diabetes and multiple sclerosis and autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. And at one point in every single talk, there was one slide about inflammation. And that's really the the thing that ties, from from a pathophysiologic standpoint, inflammation is really the tie that binds kind of the root cause of many of, of, of these chronic diseases. So, so think of your body as a house, right? And you've got different rooms in the house. You have a brain room, and you have a thyroid room, and you have a gut room, and you have a, you have a, a heart room, and you have a, 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 a respiratory room. When we eat a standard American diet, we fill that room up with very angry people because right. the diet itself is so inflammatory. And that has to do with the omega-6, omega-3 ratio, and we can talk about that on another show. <laughs> um, so we create this inflammatory state. So just imagine that a stranger wanders into this house. And depending on the nature of the stranger and what room they wander into depends on the clinical, on the outcome. Right? right. So they come in the thyroid room. You might get thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease. They might come in the brain room and you get multiple sclerosis. They might come in the respiratory room and you get asthma or allergies. They might come in the joint room and you get rheumatoid arthritis. So where are these strangers coming from? Well, most, most of them are coming through the gut because it turns out that that as i said in the in the last segment you know the gut bacteria play a very important role in helping maintain the gut's function of letting the good stuff in and keeping the bad stuff out and and when and it also turns out that the kind of gut bacteria that live in your gut if they're healthy they maintain a healthy gut lining they help maintain that barrier so that the bad stuff doesn't get in. But when we populate our gut with bacteria that aren't supposed to be there, or we, we decrease the diversity of the bacteria, so we develop this dysbiosis, it's called, uh, unhealthy gut bacteria, we start to leak these strangers into our bloodstream that, that, that aren't supposed to be there because we swallow a lot of really bad stuff. We right. swallow viruses and, and bacteria and protein antigens like milk proteins and cheese proteins and, and gluten and things like that, which aren't designed – many of those aren't really designed to be absorbed in large quantities into, into our bloodstream. 
And so that's where the strangers come from. Now, for many of these autoimmune diseases, we don't, we're not quite sure what the stranger is. There's some, there's some theory that multiple sclerosis might be a reaction to a viral antigen, that rheumatoid arthritis might be a reaction to certain uh, bacterial antigens. So antigens are the proteins that, that form the lining or the coat of the bacteria virus, uh, which we, form the, we, we, we develop inflammation against. Right. Um, so, so when we – and that's the beauty – of a plant-based diet, whole food plant-based diet, because two things happen. The first thing that happens is, and this happens pretty quickly, is when we, re- when we reduce that omega-6, omega-3 ratio back down to where it should be, one-to-one, standard American diet might be 10, 15-to-1, go to McDonald's a few times a week and give you 50-to-1. We've wow. ki- Now, all of a sudden, we've kicked all those angry people out of the house right. and replaced them with people drinking green tea and listening to Mozart, right? <laughs> um, and then, depending on how disrupted your gut flora was to start with, it takes about four to six to twelve weeks, where where you and when you, as you start to develop and replace the gut the unhealthy gut bacteria with, with a more healthy profile of gut bacteria, um, the, your gut will heal, and and so now you've shut the front door, and, and it's really fascinating. Um, there there and and so and there's a there's especially when you look across the. The, the, the spectrum of autoimmune diseases, for example, uh, I, I think that is just in, incredible um, that, that, you know, we've, I, was ne- I never ever thought of rheumatoid arthritis as a foodborne illness. Right. But in fact, it, there's inc- more and more evidence. And in fact, at least it plays a very important role. It might, it's certainly not the whole, the whole issue, the whole answer, but it's certainly part of it. What about something that we can all identify with, and that would be the cold and the flu and, and that sort of uh, effect that uh, gut bacteria has on the immune system? Probably not as much because those, are resp- those, those strangers are coming through our respiratory tract, mm-hmm. um, so they're not passing through the gut. So gotcha. probably not as, as much um, um, as opposed to um, um, these more autoimmune in, in chronic inflammatory diseases as opposed to acute infectious diseases. Would you consider heart disease in that category? Well, c- heart disease is interesting. So we know for a fact that, that people, that, that omega-6, omega-3 ratio plays a very, very important role in the development of heart disease. But where the gut bacteria comes in, and again, this is one of the more fascinating, more recent discoveries we found. So there's a compound called TAMO, trimethylamylene oxide which is a byproduct of gut metabolism. And it, it's, it comes from when, the, when our gut bacteria, certain gut bacteria metabolize choline and carnitine, which are found in eggs and meat. Right. And t- when we make this TMO, it's absorbed into our bloodstream, and it, and it alters the way cholesterol is metabolism. And it's been identified as an independent risk factor for heart disease. We've always known there's a subset of patients who have, who have heart disease who don't have many of the traditional risk factors. You put someone on a plant-based diet, and guess what happens to their TMO levels? It goes down. And what's even more fascinating, so you take, it, you take someone who's an omnivore, and you feed them meat. A couple hours later, their TMO levels will spike. You put those people on a vegan diet for six or eight weeks, and you feed them a piece of meat. Guess what happens to their TMO? Nothing, because you've replaced the gut bacteria that, really? that or that was were, was responsible for creating the TMAO. 
Well, that's not to say that if they introduce meat routinely back into their exactly. diet, it won't change back. That, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's why, you know, if, you know, that's, that's, you know, if you want heart disease in moderation, then eat meat in moderation. And that's <laughs> why you really, you know, if you're going to, that's why you really have to be very careful because there probably is a threshold, you know, where, where, where if you eat enough meat or enough sugar, you, you're, and, th- and that's why again moderation really doesn't work. If you're, if especially if the gut bacteria, if there's a concern the gut bacteria is playing a role in some chronic inflammatory disease, I counsel my patients to you got to really be all in because you know if you're not, then you run the risk of redeveloping this unhealthy gut profile. Cancer is another big one that I want to ask you about. Uh, it seems like. There are so many links between cancer and, and everything else in the body specific to gut bacteria. What is, what is the link there? So the main one is through colon cancer itself. Um, we know that, that chronic inflammation plays a role and is one of the main risk factors for, for um, uh, colon cancer. We also know that, that there's things we eat which are unhealthy, environmental mm-hmm. toxins and things, which, which play a role as well. And we also eat a low-fiber diet. So those environmental toxins are in contact with the, gut, with the colon wall for a much longer period of time because we don't have any fiber and, you know, you get constipated and, and on and on. Um, but gut bacteria also play a very important role. So there are two autoimmune diseases uh, that create chronic inflammation in the gut, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. In particular with ulcerative colitis, that is a known risk factor that accelerates the risk for colon cancer because of this chronic, fairly intense inflammation. Again, there is an association between unhealthy gut bacteria and both inflammatory bowel disease and increasingly in, in, in colon cancer. But again, this is, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's, you have to be a little bit careful about, how, about the inference, though, because, you know, there are many moving parts here. Sure. It's, it's not just, you know, when we improve our diets, that improves the, the, the gut bacteria. So right. is it the diet itself or is it, you know, if you go on a plant-based diet, you, you may go from 15 grams of fiber a day, which is what the average American gets, gets to 50, 75, even 100 grams of fiber a day. Well, guess what? That fiber is a probiotic, a prebiotic, we call it. You hear about probiotics, but these are prebiotics. They feed healthy gut bacteria. So, so you have to be very careful, I think, about assigning cause and effect between is it the gut bacteria that, that, that are playing the role or is it the inflammation or is it the low fiber and, and on and on. And it's the same kind of thing with rheumatoid arthritis because, because of the anti-inflammatory nature of the diet itself and you might not be exposing yourself to as many environmental toxins and protein antigens and things like that. You know, and we know that a, a plant-based diet not only improves the gut bacteria, it also is anti-inflammatory, you know, trying to tease out which part of that is is really affecting, you know, lowering the rate or, or improving the outcomes in rheumatoid arthritis? You know, it's hard to tell. So, I, you know, I, I think you do have to be careful about saying, oh, you know, it, it, that it's the it's the gut bacteria that are caused. But certainly, there's an association. Uh, and, and just real quick before we wrap it up, what is the RDA, the recommended daily uh, allowance for for fiber? What's the well, I, I, you know, the American Heart Association recommends about thirty to forty grams. Average, average American gets about. 15. Mm, come on, uh, The default. The, the other thing that's interesting about fiber, by the way, is that um, f- if you look at societies who eat a lot of fiber in their diet, colon cancer is almost non-existent. Interesting. Okay? You give someone fiber supplement, it does not change their risk of 
colon cancer because it's not the fiber per se. It's the food. And, and it, 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 it gets back to some of the things we've talked about is this whole idea about nutritional reductionism because the food, when you eat healthy food, not only does it affect, does it increase your fiber intake, that food-based fiber serves as a prebiotic, so it helps foster healthy gut bacteria. It binds cholesterol and fat. I mean, on and on. So, so it's you know, there's a there's so it's a symphony really, um, and and so you can't tease out this one thing that's important. It's when we eat healthy food, that's where we get the benefit across the board. Makes sense to me. We're going to leave it right there. Dr. Jim Loomis, thank you so much for your time as always. My pleasure. All right. Much more information on everything that we just talked about on PCRM.org. Welcome back to The Exam Room, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Sitting across from Chef Bev, the name of the show today is Gut Bacteria 101. The good, the bad, the gut bacteria, all about it. So what can you eat to get the good gut bacteria? Well, Chef Bev has brought a delicious dish with her that I simply cannot pronounce without giggling. So what <laughs> what did you bring, Chef Bev? It's called full mummies. What it is, it's a fava bean dish, which has a lot of aromatic spices. It's a Middle Eastern dish, which has so many different flavors, and it's flavored from different countries, Egypt, um, Qatar, Dubai, Morocco. But each country has their own recipe, and this is kind of my signature also. So I've added different spices from Morocco and from Dubai and from the Middle Eastern countries to give it a different flavor from each country. Yeah, I love that philosophy when it comes to cooking, or actually life in general, is you you take from here, you mm-hmm. take from there, you put it together, and you make it your own. Yes. Yeah. So uh, break this down for me. What's uh, the main ingredient here is fava beans, correct? Yes, fava beans, which is a very, very, very big... Um, Big staple in, in Middle Eastern countries is our fava beans. Right on. Do you pair this with a nice Chianti? Yes, you sure can. Outstanding. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, what else is in here? This is, uh, it's just beautifully plated here with the tomatoes and diced onions on top with uh, some pita there. But uh, go over the recipe with me. So in this recipe, I put some Moroccan spices in it, which are basically cumin, paprika, turmeric, a little bit of turmeric, I'm sorry, um, some coriander, uh, ginger. And I also added a, a the uh, extra virgin olive oil. And with that, the tahini base is what gives it the really nuttiness, the mm. flavor, and some lemon juice, some fresh squeezed lemon juice. And I've added some pita bread, some onion pita bread. These are all vegan items here again. And then I've topped it with um, some Campari tomatoes and some diced onions. All right, let's talk the cooking process. We've got the ingredients there. First question. The prep time, the cook time, how much time are we investing? Now, if you're using the dried fava beans, I would use a pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. So that cuts the time in half to probably an hour to about uh, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're using canned fava beans, you can do it all in 15 to 20 minutes. What's your preference? (laughs) <laughs> of course, I'm like a the, chef, yeah. so I'm going to use the dried beans. But for those at home, I mean, are we talking Canned about a, beans? Is it a huge drop off? No. Okay. No, not at all. So, uh, so we've got the beans, and we're talking half hour, and then we just mix all the spices together. And... Well, I would saute my onions and garlic first, mm-hmm. and gingers, and then I would pour uh, the uh, spices in, and then I would add the fava beans. What would you pair this with? 
Um, you, typically, this is an appetizer. Okay. So it's not it's not like a an entree. So that's why they serve it with pita bread on the side. See now, or that, vegetables. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. All right, guinea pig, you're standing in the back of the room. <laughs> Noah has just kind of become our de facto taste test guy. So uh, come on up and uh, sample this full mama dis. I expect you're going to say mama dis tastes good. Chef Bev, I have no doubt that this is going to be fantastic. I'm going to take a bite here. Pardon me. Man, that is really good. That is smooth. I definitely taste mm-hmm. the tahini. Mm-hmm. Chili pepper. Mm-hmm. That is a nice touch with this. Definitely Middle Eastern. Noah, break it down for me. You're the chef. Love the, the cumin in it. It's flavorful, but not overpowering in any of the different spices. Um, I've never had anything like this exactly, and it's awesome. I love it. The beans and the tahini kind of give it a uh, a meaty texture almost. It's very thick. It's nice. Um, it really, and, and again, it's beautifully plated with the diced onions and the Campari tomatoes. Chef Bev, you just work your magic. Now, uh, where can people find it? Switch out. We only have two mics here in this studio. <laughs> Um, for those who are interested uh, in learning more about your recipes and maybe hooking up with you, shooting you an email, some tips, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can find me on my website at com, and they can contact me through there. I usually have recipes on my website as well, and they're also in my cookbook. This particular um Recipe is in my cookbook. Outstanding. So here's what we're going to do. You can go to our website directly or go over to pcrm.org slash podcast. We're going to put this recipe up as well as a link over to Bev's website where there is just a bevy, see what I did there, (laughs) of other recipes. So, uh, Chef Bev, thank you so much. We're going to have you back on uh, in the near future. I think uh, the Cheese Trap episode, which is coming up later this month, you have promised to whip up an out-of-this-world vegan mac and cheese. So I'm very much looking forward to that. You are listening to The Exam Room, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this program. And before we leave, let me just share with you one more tip. And this will sound a little bit funny to you, but when people are trying to get their digestion in better shape, they focus on bacteria and the foods that nourish the healthy bacteria and push the bad ones out. That's all great, and that's what you've been hearing about today. I want to add one more thing. Think about our old enemy fat. You know, fat is high in calories. It raises your cholesterol. But it does one other thing. When grease touches the wall of your digestive tract, It can sometimes cause those normal peristaltic movements to get disrupted. It's a little bit like grabbing a toothpaste tube on both ends at the same time. So people suddenly get cramps and they feel rotten and they feel bloating and their intestinal movements aren't right. So if fat touching the intestinal tract is causing that, then that might mean that when you get all that extra grease out of your diet, it doesn't just help you lose weight and doesn't just bring down your cholesterol but it also might help your digestion. Give it a try and see what you find. Thanks a lot.